Aaron Levine, LG Insurance, with another episode of And Insurance. Uh, we're here with Kevin Asadi from Zager Fuchs in Red Bank. Kevin is an attorney. He's done work for me personally, full disclosure. Um, we've done some networking together. We've uh, we've done some business together. We've 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 kind of done it all, and we can't wait now that the limitations are lifted on the bars that we can get out and have some drinks together it's about time finally right so give me a little bit about uh what you do how long you've been practicing law your what your area of expertise is and then i want to get into the topic at hand and talk about you know wills trusts and estates with you all right thanks a lot for having me aaron um so i'm kevin asadi you know me very well <laughs> we've known each other for a long time haven't we it's amazing how fast the years go by yeah. isn't it? um it's that gray in your beard it is the gray in my beard it wasn't gray when we first met <laughs> I didn't have a beard when we first met. I didn't have a beard. Probably couldn't grow one. I can't shave mine off now. So I've been a, uh, an attorney since 2005, and since that time, my office has been on Broad Street in Red Bank with the law firm Zager Fuchs. And uh, with Zager Fuchs, I do a lot of real estate work, a lot of estate planning, land development, landlord-tenant, property taxes, um, and more. Um, you know, I really consider myself a, a family attorney, a, a, an attorney that a local person would need several times in their life, and they can call me, and we could take care of them. That's awesome. So I know you do a lot of land use stuff, right? You sit on zoning or planning still for some townships? Or yeah, no? um, this is my first year not okay. sitting on a zoning or planning board since probably 2008. Too busy coaching soccer. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> soccer now. I'm, I'm, I'm volunteering my time in a different way in town, but um, yeah, it's mostly soccer these days. <laughs> But I really, really enjoy the um, the planning and zoning board work, and, and professionally, I do a lot of that, too. Right. So that's great. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about wills, trusts, and estates. You and I have worked on a couple of projects together. You've reached out to me for some help um, You know, when certain individuals become deceased and their estate transfers over to their next of kin, when there's a lack of a will and things go into the court system through probate, we have to get an extra bond and it becomes a little bit of sh uh, a shock sometimes um, for, for a kin that's not financially set up for it. So I want to talk about how do we properly set ourselves up for the unknown and for the future? What does it look like? When do we do it? You know, I'll let you start talking and this is your, this is your field. Yeah. Um, when it comes to convincing a person to get a will and the other estate planning documents, sometimes that can be tough. Sometimes they've even paid for it and had the drafts all done and finalized and they don't come in and sign it. Um, and I can understand. Why, why um, would someone hesitate to, to do that? I just don't understand. I, I think it's, it's hard to contemplate your own death for a lot of people. And um, I think that's natural. Uh, but it is something that really should be done. Everybody knows uh, and can name several reasons why they should have their estate plan done. Right. But a lot of times people think to themselves, I'm not that wealthy. I have a spouse. I have two kids. If I were to pass away without a will, the right thing is going to happen. We know exactly what's going to happen. But do you really? Um, there are a lot of things that you might not know about. And I wanted to share a couple of those things today um, to hopefully um, encourage people to get wills, even if they think they really don't need them. Right. Um, you touched on a big one, which is if you were to pass away without a will, then in order for an administrator to be approved, 
um, to administrate your estate, that administrator would have to purchase a performance bond. That performance bond is not only contains a lot of hoops you have to jump through, a credit check Mm -hmm. um, and other hoops to jump through, but it's also the premiums for that bond is very, very expensive, a lot more than most people realize. Right. So the bond is an insurance policy. It's a vehicle. It's an insurance vehicle to protect the state should someone steal funds from the, from the estate, right? So it's, it's actually, it's an administrator bond. Performance bond is more construction. Um, and it's a credit check. And if somebody, the kin, the administrator who's responsible for this estate to distribute assets or sell a house has bad credit, cost of insurance is going to go up on it also because there's, they become a little bit higher risk on it. So it, it becomes a hassle you know, for sure when it, when it gets down, when it gets down to it. And then you always have to follow up to make sure that the estate is closed in the eyes of the court and get everything signed off on because premium is due every year on these bonds. And people are like, well, we're done. Did you get the court to sign off on it? Are you really done? And then, you know, they wind up having to pay when they shouldn't have because everything could have been settled, you know, earlier on. It's quite an expense. And sometimes it even becomes prohibitive for some people to be able to administer an estate. Uh, if they don't have the money or the credit to get the bond, mm-hmm. then they may be discouraged from even going through with the process, and that might cost them a lot of money that they would have inherited. So staying on this topic real quick, so the court in many cases, or the insurance company in many cases, requires an attorney be retained and be on file with respect to the administration of, of the estate. How does that work because um, you sign a letter of engagement with a client and you're, you have a duty then to help settle the estate? How does that whole thing tie in? Just like any other client, um, the attorney for the estate represents the estate. A lot of times you may have a dispute with another beneficiary um, and they would hire their own counsel and maybe engage into the matter, but the attorney representing the estate, the estate's the only client. Got it. And that's okay. who all their duties are focused on on that estate client. Okay. Um, it's not even necessarily the administrator's personal attorney. Okay. It's the estate's attorney. The estate's attorney. Right. Interesting. So there could be multiple. If there's a dispute, the administrator might need their own counsel. They might need to. So lawyers always making money. It's That's too it much. Is. Too much of this. <laughs> <laughs> so I know when I got my, we did my wills, and I think it was right around when my first child was born, right? So I had a personal concern of should something happen to me, we have a guideline for the care, custody, and custody of my children. And that's kind of when I approached you to do this. Do you see that a lot, or is that less common nowadays? No, it's definitely uh, when people buy a house, when they have kids. uh, They may have kids, and now they're about to get on a plane, (laughs) and they start worrying about it. and and it's a it's a very likely time for people to start worrying about uh, taking care of that kind of business. Um, when you have young children, or even adult children, young adult children, who's you know you're not ready to uh, mm-hmm. see inherit all of your wealth. Um, one thing a lot of people do is set up a children's trust, and uh, the point of the children's trust is not only to establish the trust for what happens if the kids are still under 18, but it could also establish what happens 
up until they're any age mm-hmm. that the testator decides is the appropriate age. Um, you know, I wasn't around in the 40s, but I get the <laughs> sense that in the 40s, an 18-year-old was a much more mature person than I was when I was 18, <laughs> and certainly today's 18-year-old. You don't have to tell so, those stories. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe somebody... Uh, a long time ago, inheriting a, a, a great sum of money at 18 years old may have had different ideas with as to what to do with that money um, versus now an 18-year-old coming into a quarter million dollars may not make all the correct decisions with that money. If the, if the death occurred prior to the child being 18 years old and there's no will, then the money would be held in a state custodial account until the child turns 18 on their 18th birthday, here's your money. Um, that money in the st- that's handled by the state doesn't get invested in the same manner as it would if it were in a private trust. These trusts are very easy to, uh, to create. They're created just through the language in the will, um, or they're contemplated just in the language in the will itself, so that it's actually um, created after the death, when the will is being executed, the trust will be created and all that work becomes necessary. So if we it's don't not need necessary, to you don't have to create the trust, fund the trust, use the fust, trust money to then purchase life insurance. Everything can kind of be done in a more simple fashion. Buy life insurance as you normally would, right, on, on each of the, the living parents. Um, and then should a situation arise, the the will sets up the trust if both parents predecease. Absolutely. And a lot of times, most times, and hopefully we hope that um, these children's trusts never become necessary, and many, many times they wouldn't. So that saves you from having to establish uh, expensive trust work. Um, you know, it, it, that's, what it, that's what's called a, test, a testator's trust, mm-hmm. um, a testamentary trust, rather. Um, that's a trust that's contemplated in the language of the will itself versus created at the time the estate plan is So why would out. anybody set up a separate trust also funded by life insurance or that has life insurance proceeds that go into a trust? So why would you set up a regular, you know, I'm not, I don't know what the right words are for it. Why do people set up other trust accounts versus having everything in the will in this simple children's trust? Different trusts have different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, a special needs trust, for example, would, would be created, and I'm no expert in um, elaborate trusts, but a special needs trust, just as an example, would be created for somebody who has a qualified clinical special need, mm-hmm. and they are to inherit money, and that special needs trust does a couple things. It allows them to receive the money while not costing them um, means-tested benefits that they might also be receiving at the mm-hmm. time. Okay. Um, so depending on the trust's purpose, um, it determines when the trust should be created and how that plan should work. But for that kind of trust work, there are attorneys who only <laughs> do that kind of trust work, and I am not one. <laughs> Start with Kevin, <laughs> and then he can refer out should a situation arise and something special needs needs to be done. But it seems like getting your wills done is is important. Number you know the 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 first thing to uh, to 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 get done. Do you have any you know stories of special items? You know how do people classify special items if they want? 
you know, this baseball card collection to go to, you know, little Johnny and stuff like that. Does that get put into the will or do you like, you know, keep a letter in your drawer and your nightstand and leave me alone? Yeah, I definitely <laughs> like, I like the letter approach. Um, here's the thing. If right now, New Jersey doesn't have an estate tax. Um, the federal estate tax exemption amounts are so high that it only really impacts very few people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it very well may not remain that way forever. Um, 15 years ago, those taxes did apply um, more regularly. So it's a concern to name specific personal belongings in the will because even if it's, you know, uh, a Keith Hernandez rookie card, (laughs) which might be worth $10, if it's named in the will, it may have to be appraised. (laughs) <laughs> and it creates a lot of process. Um, you know, I always uh, remember the example of uh, the Barry Bonds home run ball that was okay. caught, record-breaking home run ball. The guy catches it. He just wants to keep the ball. It's a memory. It's the, right. one of the coolest memories you'll ever hear of at, uh, coming out of a baseball game. And the IRS said, well, we need to tax that baseball, and he couldn't afford to keep it. He had to sell it just so he could pay the taxes. It's out of control. Um, so it's similar when you name specific pieces of property in a will, uh, you're better off. And, and for the most part, these pieces of property that most people are bequeathing to their loved ones or other people that they would like to have those things, they don't want to have to you know, deal with needless appraisals for right. tax ramifications that won't even exist. Um, so the best way to go about doing that is to keep a separate list. Um, you can even store the separate list right with your will. And the separate list and the will itself would say, I might keep a separate, a separate list. And if I do, the executor should carry out that list as I, as I wish. Sounds um, easy. Yeah, easy enough. And, and that's what a lot of people do. Okay. And that's what I encourage. <laughs> These days, I also encourage people with everybody having online accounts, different logins, um, cryptocurrency accounts, um, you know, f- social media accounts, it probably makes a lot of sense to keep a list of uh, login information to those accounts, mm-hmm. particularly where we're talking about um, where your assets are kept. Um, I've heard a lot of people <laughs> talk about uh, cryptocurrency, and, and one of the things they like about it is that their spouse doesn't know they have it. And <laughs> so, so you can give but, that to the, the lawyer can hold on to it is uh, what it comes down to. That, that secret's <laughs> only good until you, until the grave, after the grave, don't you want her to know about it? Right. So, you know, these are, these are things you definitely should think about putting together. You want to leave those, uh, that information behind. I just started creating, you know, a file in a simple Google doc with password protected that has all of our personal information in it should something happen, you know, between my wife or I or one of us passes that we have the ability and know where our bank accounts are because they're all over the place, unfortunately. Um, There's not one central location for it because we have different joint accounts and different personal accounts, you know, and for now it's great. Upon death, (laughs) there should be access to, to some of that stuff. Um, which I think is super important, and then passwords to email, um, business-related materials for, for me. You know, who's going to take over the business should I suddenly pass away or I, shouldn't I suddenly become disabled and something happen? 
who's going to run payroll? How is payroll going to get done in my business, right? How's the business going to operate for the first six months while it's being sold or taken over by, by, by somebody else? So, you know, having these end-of-life conversations, while difficult, I think are super important. Um, and even the disability stuff, should you become disabled, you know, so there's other documents in the will besides just death-related items, right? So what else do we put into our, our wills? Yeah, so, you know, there's also custody or who's going to be the guardian of your children. Now, that's a suggestion, right? A <laughs> um, couple things about that. I remember that's, this conversation like yeah, it was yesterday. You're right. <laughs> and we had this exact conversation in my da- at my table. Right. Um, the person you name as the guardian of your kids upon your death, it's not compulsory upon that person. They might not want a kid <laughs> to raise. You know, so you always want to have those conversations with the people in your life who, you know, you think so highly of that you would like them to um, finish raising your children uh, in the event of your demise, and that's fine. Um, but the other thing, and they could say no, they could say yes to you while you're living and right. no thanks afterwards, situations change. Um, but it's not just that. Anytime there's a dispute over where a child should uh, end up if their parents or guardians were to pass away, the courts have a, one single standard, and that is what is in the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. So you may have um, you know, a, a, an older generation family member and, uh, versus a, a parental generation uh, family member, and you would think kind of the parental generation, the, the, the aunt or the uncle, would be the logical choice to, um, to, to take the kid, but maybe they don't live clean, they don't have a good situation, or they live all the way across the country right. and the kid's in school. And meanwhile, the you know, advanced-aged grandparent still lives local, still is clean, still has the ability to look after the child, get the child to school, finish mm-hmm. raising the child, even if it says, you know, the will says, I want my child to be raised by my brother in Seattle, that might not carry the day if it's not in the child's best interest. Interesting. Yeah. But it's still good to have a reference to somebody in there because when all else is equal, the last thing you want is a dispute right. uh, over it. So, it's good to have those conversations early on. And, you know, we did our wills five years ago. I don't know what we put in there as our recommended guideline for care of our children. Want you me know? to check and let you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we might have to look that up and see if that's changed. It probably hasn't, but it's like, you know, one of those things, you know, how often do we need to have that conversation and, and, and refresh? So do people come in and update their wills? And when is a good time to, you know, get back in and, and review, revisit, update? You know, is it usually an asset situation, a living change Divorce, death. Yeah, you know. I mean, you you just named a bunch of them. You know, your 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 level of wealth may have changed for better or for worse. Your marital situation may have changed. Your um, your relationship with your members of your family may have changed. Somebody may have entered your life that you want to provide for. Anything that you can think of. But one thing you should always do is pay attention to the news. Um, you know, we're, we're at a, in an era where um, in response to the pandemic, for example, there's been a lot of spending. It's going to have to be paid for somehow. And I wouldn't be terribly shocked if they, you know, brought the estate tax um, 
back to lower levels. Right. And if that were to happen, a lot of people who have simple wills might want to consider um, new wills that contain tax planning uh, vehicles that could reduce estate taxes and, and other things. It's all, all, all good to know. So many moving parts with it. I mean, the basics is sit down, have a conversation with a good attorney that knows what they're doing, like Kevin, um, you know, and, and just start the ball rolling. Start the conversation. Decide whether it makes sense for, for you personally, for you and your spouse, and for your family, especially if you've made significant financial changes, have a big mortgage, having children, starting a new family. You know, these are great times to do things when you're um, healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Um, to, to get the ball rolling and get your estate and your affairs in order before a situation arises and things can get really, really, really messy. Any other, any other tips, words for the wise uh, that, that you want to share with me? You got, sure. you have any good story that you want to put out there? Of, uh... Yeah, sure. A couple <laughs> things. I'll take that in order. Um, you know, the, the basic estate plan consists of a will, a health care directive and slash living will, and a durable power of attorney. Um, those, all three of those documents are incredibly important that you have. They're not that expensive to set up and save you or your family members a bundle of money if they become the situations that they contemplate become operative. Meaning, um, if you were to become incapacitated, for example, and so you're still alive, so your will doesn't mean anything yet, you're still alive, but you don't have a durable power of attorney set up, meaning that there's nobody who can step into your shoes and do the things that need to be done for you. Um, what would have to happen then is a family member or somebody in your life would have to apply for a guardianship. Mm -hmm. That requires multiple lawyers, multiple doctors, a complaint filed with the court, and a, a legal proceeding that takes months and many, many thousands of dollars, all because you didn't have a document set up that would have cost a few hundred bucks. Right. You know, so it, it, it really makes a lot of sense to do these things, get it set up, it's peace of mind, and it could really save the day. Uh, as far as a really good story, um, you know, we were t you were talking about the manual that you wanted to right. leave behind, and and I was talking about having a list of you know your your accounts and your, your assets, crypto accounts, yeah, your, crypto, your wallet, but your wallet for the more uh, for the more old fashioned. Um, where do you keep your stock certificates <laughs> that you hold in certificate form, which? Um, takes me back to a client who, uh, you know, I'm, now I'm working for her estate. I was working for her for many, many, many years. Um, she was uh, an army librarian oh. throughout the World War II era. She never married. She lived with her brother who um, worked on the Manhattan Project, a brilliant engin wow. military engineer. Um, neither one of them ever married. They lived in the home where they were raised. And when... The, she was the, la the last to pass away. When she passed away, it was discovered that she hadn't been opening up her mail for a long, long time. So it she was living in piles of dividend checks, stock certificates, savings bonds. Wow. It came to me in uh, black contractor bags full of unopened envelopes containing one check after the other of hundreds of dollars wow. over and over and over from 10 years prior. 
and you, up to the current. By the time, and we're still seeking out assets of hers to, you know, marshal them and be able to distribute them. That all goes them. to unclaimed property. You got to get it from the state. A lot <laughs> of it does. Yeah. So between making unclaimed property um, claims, um, seeking out through the corporate shareholder services mm-hmm. um, companies, what stocks she owns in which companies wow. and recovering those shares of stock, which she held in actual certificate form, many of which were lost all the savings bonds that had to be redeemed. Wow. We recovered almost a million dollars worth of assets that were just laying on the ground <laughs> in her house. Yeah, it really, really was special. Um, she had um, left behind uh, four nieces that were somewhat, they were, they were all sisters, and they were all somewhat estranged from her um, for their entire lives. Talk about the long-lost relative Right. That passes away. One of them lived in England, and I, I reached out to her and I said, "You're the next of kin um, for your aunt." And <laughs> by the way, it's a lot of money, and <laughs> you know, so it, the, these stories really wow. do happen, and it really was an incredible story. Um, uh, the lady was an incredible lady, um, and but it was amazing to me how um, she just didn't have. Uh, any organization of, of her assets. Um, it's something we're going to continue to have to deal with for a couple more years by the time we are able to find everything. But it's really one of the most exciting uh, right. things that I've ever done is to keep seeing more and more assets and, you know, having the party <laughs> on the phone with the next of kin to tell them about it. <laughs> things just keep showing up. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a good story. That's a good feel-good story to... Yeah. To, to end on, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Kevin Asadi from Zager Fuchs. If you want to reach Kevin, you can comment on any of our posts and we'll get you in touch with him. Um, or what's the best phone number for you? Oh, our number uh, is 732-747-3700. Um, we have, uh, I have several partners. Uh, we all do different things. And um, anything you need, give us a call. Good group over there. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thank thanks you. for having me.